Welcome to a new episode of the Health Disparities Podcast, conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them across the country. I am Dr. Bonnie Simpson-Mason, and this week we are recording our conversations at the National Harbor in Maryland, where we are enjoying a program of speakers and workshops at the annual Movement is Life Caucus. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Adrienne White Faines. She is a committed health strategist who looks to achieve health equity for all in her numerous roles, including being the immediate past CEO of the American Osteopathic Association. She's also had a significant role at the American Cancer Society um, and is also now doing a lot of interesting work in tech with uh, Innovacer, but also as an advisor to the Patient Centered Primary Care Collaborative. Adrian, thank you for being here with us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Mason. So, you know, I would really like to start out with, um, you know, help frame for us your core mission to achieve health equity for all and, and how that's been a common thread woven throughout your career. And that might be a big question to ask, but sure. I'd like to get to your why. You know, what, what drives you? And then we can get into some more details. That's a, a wonderful way of framing it. The, the reality is like most that choose healthcare as their career, there is a passion and desire for change, for humanistic um, empathy and touch to who, and believe that individuals can be at their best with support through healthcare systems. And I too grew up actually in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my father was a dentist um, who practiced with other African-American physicians uh, as a group and serviced the African-American population in uh, inner city Milwaukee. And what I did was observed growing up the dedication and commitment of these individuals who cared about the patient, the community, the whole person, the family, and their role was much more than just what happened in an exam room. But at the same time, they also lived within a U.S. system um, that was broken and fractioned, and they were marginalized from that system. Um, and as a result, you really saw and observed the incredible dysfunction of the healthcare system and how it played out on the inability to truly heal and preserve wellness within communities of color. So with that, that was my driver. And so my career actually took off. I originally was going to become a physician and, my, uh, and decided that I actually I would stay on the policy side and strategy side. And it has guided me through um, health and hospitals corporation, public hospital systems in New York City, to working with academic medical centers in Chicago, um, to working with the American Cancer Society, looking at program delivery and patient service enhancements. Uh, so that everyone could have equal access to resources to truly benefit from the science and technology of medicine. From ACS, then I went to American Cancer Society. I went and had the honor of serving as the CEO of the American Osteopathic Association, which was a beautiful and wonderful 
um, component to the career because osteopathic physicians, DOs, are trained from day one um, to look at the whole person, exactly. to approach patient mm -hmm. care from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. So it actually took all of my passion around health equity and actually brought it home to what does training look like for physicians and providers when you are trying to get them to appreciate the importance of healing and providing wellness for the whole person. Um, and with that work, I now have left and am continuing my work uh, in health strategy, both working with tech companies, providing insight. I'm on the advisory council of Innovacer um, to provide insight on how do you design tools, not just building on the technology, but truly benefiting and taking the perspective of the realities of the community mm -hmm. and building that in so that it works for both the users, but most importantly, surrounds and addresses the patient, the family, the community. So that's generally how I'm approaching life, still on a mission. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it sounds like even with this work with Innovacer, you're looking at tech and how tech can support the whole person you know, from right. that holistic perspective. That's right. Well, that's exciting. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And in, in, in that evolving tech industry, I would imagine your voice, this voice, would be extremely needed and critical because I would imagine some of our tech developers in some of these companies might not necessarily have a lens, you know, directed towards, you know, our vulnerable populations. I think, Bonnie, that that's probably one of the most important messages to mm -hmm. get out, particularly to those in healthcare. Yes. Um, and those who have seen and understand uh, the issues around health equity, because as observers, they oftentimes have come from marginalized communities or high risk communities. The importance of lifting our voices. Many times, uh, individuals, we will. Uh, kind of diffuse or mute our own voices because we don't think that we have the um, that we have the appropriate pedigree or information or insight to be at the table. And actually, it's for that reason that I believe that some of the work around health equity has taken so long. Right. We need to get loud in those voices and be clear. The reality is a conversation can be happening um, around tech or development or data. Um, and because the voice wasn't there to provide perspective on the realities of what's happening or how it works, when you miss those pieces of insight, what happens is on the other end, you end up with poor outcomes. Example, just two weeks ago, there was United Healthcare is being challenged now yes. by the New York Department of Health because the algorithms they developed have a racial bias in them. Healthier white patients were getting access to more resources than sicker black patients because from a data perspective, they blinded out race. Um, what happens is when you're designing those algorithms, yeah. if you have people of color at the table or people that have worked in high-risk communities, every concept, every assumption should be checked and balanced and, um, 
uh, and, and analyzed in a way, in a thoughtful way. So you say, ah, miss that. Let's see what we can do to incorporate. And it's going to be so much more important as we start to develop uh, and depend on technology in our healthcare that we don't lose, that this really is about the human experience. Yes. And we will evolve as a healthcare system when we truly incorporate all of those components. And it's those voices, it's those voices at every step of the table that is going to make the difference. And we have to be intentional about that. Absolutely. We have to be intentional about encouraging our fellow healthcare providers at every level, our physicians, our nurses, our techs, um, our communi community advocates, and our patients Absolutely. To, seek, to seek out ways to have their voices heard. To seek out ways and also to question. Ooh. It's okay to question yes. because it is only through those questions that we all evolve. If there's an answer to the question, we've all learned. If there's not, it's a moment to pause and say why. And together with diverse input, we can find new solutions. Um, I just did last night or two nights ago um, a session with the tech designers uh, from Innovacer with a group of seven social workers because they had designed a component of the, the social work um, arm of the product that links to the electronic health system, um, the electronic health record, and I've said it was designed from a perspective of a social worker working in an inpatient setting. But the reality is, social workers work in a variety of exactly. settings. So we've brought individuals into the room and said, and will this tool apply if the social worker is working with the um, DCFS or, or who is a child with trauma who was referred by an educational system? Is this going to work from a FQHC? Is this sure. going to work on behalf of someone in the school system? The reality is all of those touch points impact the health of that child and that family. And if you're truly going to design a system, then design the system around the realities of what happens in the world. Absolutely. So, and so that sounds to me to be an, another common thread in your work focusing on the patient-centered yes. medical home. Um, explain to our listeners what that is, what that means, and why it requires focus, because if, I'm, if we're thinking about healthcare, in my mind, it should be patient-centered. So what is the concept of the patient-centered medical home? And maybe highlight um, what the patient-centered primary care collaborative is, you know, how they're supporting this particular work. But tell us about that concept. Yeah, so, you know, healthcare is evolving in such a way, um, and there's, there's both the academic approach, mm -hmm. which um, always tries to label what everything is and what concepts are, um, so you can always have a multitude of uh, titles and labels sure. around what activities are um, when indeed you are trying to achieve patient-centered care. Mm -hmm. um, the patient-centered medical home was actually developed conceptually and it's being um, really looked at from across the world um, to address the fact that as healthcare evolved in the 70s and 80s and really building from the 60s, 
that we actually got so excited about the technology and uh, precision of medicine, um, particularly towards specialized and, and tertiary care, mm -hmm. that we started to lose where is the center and where is the focus of the care that it's about prevention through and maintaining wellness, which really is not about the point of diagnosis and treatment, but how do you take and work with an individual and their family throughout their life and, in, and prevent disease, but also ensure if you treat a disease, um, ensure wellness and, uh, and enhance life expectancy of all individuals. So the thought about the patient-centered medical home was how do you design care with a broader lens, but also set up the reimbursement structure mm. to not just support, let's pay the tertiary individuals the most money and make the most expensive components of the care um, based on the treatment, but how do we actually invest in the longer and broader continuum? Because in the long run, your return on investment is going to be greater. Mm -hmm. um, so what you've seen is an evolution of how health, how individuals, organizations, uh, chronic disease management, um, as well as uh, academic medical centers and the teaching curriculum is changing to keep that broader lens. So they've used the terminology of the patient-centered medical home, meaning how do you put the patient first and think about all the touch points that they may need throughout a healthcare continuum and design healthcare systems and reimbursement and structures mm -hmm. and insurance, et cetera, around the concept that ambulatory care must be woven into inpatient care, must be woven into community care. After that long explanation, I would just say, we're not there. Right. We're not there yet. Right. Um, but it is something to strive for. And the focus of putting the patient first is, uh, is what is the reminder for every conversation around the table. Um, so the primary care, um, primary care collaborative, mm -hmm. they're changing the their title, they were PCPCC, um, they're changing it to PCC, which is a good, um, is a program that I've been working, it's a group that I've been working with for about the past seven years okay. that brings together uh, primary care associations, um, American Academy of Family uh, Medicine, ACP, American College of Physicians, OBGYN, PEDS, and the osteopathic community, as we try to work on what policies um, need to change in this country to continue to support the movement towards patient-centered care, not physician-driven care, not hospital health system-driven care, um, not science-driven care, but patient-centered care. And that's the, the lens by which we all hope to continue. I'm actually very happy to hear that all of the, uh, the primary care associations are coming together to look to you know, focus in on and achieve that goal of putting the patient first, especially in light of everything being so reimbursement driven and like right. you said, tech driven, that the patients get lost. And I think you know, everything I've you know, heard you say today you know, really focuses on that holistic approach to supporting the patient. 
and their family. And I like the lens of looking at achieving health equity through wellness as well. So, um, Adrian, today you are leading one of our workshops, which explores how extensively your neighborhood affects your health. Um, you live in Chicago, and uh, we know that there have been, you know, some some reports and publications about you know how zip code affects your life expectancy. Um, what do you hope to share with the conference attendees today, um, along those lines? Yeah, it's a it's a very appropriate topic. Our our panel today is actually titled "What's Good in the Hood," um, and. Uh, and, and the realities are it, it, it is based off of the um, NYU Public Health and School of Medicine studies that showed uh, up to 30 percent, uh, 300, up to 30-year gap between zip code areas within single cities. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in the city of Chicago, in, right. in the middle of the loop, in, um, in Streeterville neighborhood, the average life expectancy is 90.2 years. Um, if you just go six miles south, actually about a mile away from my home on the south side, the average life expectancy from those community members is 59.9. Mm. Um, how in the same city when you have this is not an issue of access if you have uh, seven academic medical centers right. and resources galore. How do you have a 30-year life expectancy gap? And that is what it's about when you think about redefining what is health. It is the exposure and experiences and access to all resources, what's happening with education, the criminal justice system, et cetera. So today's conversation is a um, general discussion about how are we engaging all necessary parties in the healthcare conversation and reminding uh, individuals of the importance of getting out of our silos. If we are healthcare professionals, we also then must be invested in the continuum of education. We must be invested in advocacy, policy, and social justice, et cetera, because all of our work will never be resolved if you stay just in the space waiting for the patient to come to you. Um, with that, then we'll go into some uh, best practice review of some of the technology that's being developed to actually connect resources, community-based resources, uh, to the to providers, to physicians, nurse practitioners, social workers, et cetera, so that we can start to eliminate some of the redundancy and, mm -hmm. and guesswork so that when everyone encounters the patient, person, family, they actually can get a uh, broader lens to resources to support them. So it'll be a great conversation, but it'll also be a reality check mm -hmm. to remind individuals to take their lens not just from when they show up for their shift or their nine to five, but their lens as a person and bring that global experience journey perspective to their work each and every day. Well, and that would allow each one of us to look at 
every patient, every colleague as a whole person, right. not just through our own lens. So, right. you know, I, I really love, uh, well, full disclosure, uh, Adrian is one of my mentors, so we have a relationship going way back, but... That's um, quite an honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but every conversation I have uh, with you just continues to be this um, inspiring, um, and you always push myself and, of course, my husband, Dr. Mason, to do more, be more, um, and to, um, you know, be our best selves for the sake of, you know, our patients and our community. So, you know, I want to thank you for your time today and um, for your insights. You know, in my mind, um, what I found most interesting was, you know, essentially how your entire career has spawned from the inspiration from your parents. And, and that's been a similar story for me. Both of my uh, parents were they were avid mentors and always giving back to the community. So I just love to hear that common thread. So something else I learned about you today. Um, and then also to that patient first perspective and how that um, can be and should be the common thread between any tech innovations, you know, reimbursement innovations as we know at CMS as they're looking at reimbursement models um, and that evolution. But then also to redefining health and access to resources for the patient, the person, and the family, you know, through all of our organizations working in sync and in collaboration, not in our silos. So I think that's great. So I am, I'm hoping that um, our audience um, understands the importance of each and one, each and every one of those aspects um, from our conversation today. So thank you very much. My pleasure. My, I would just. Uh, to, to remind you and everyone, we've seen what we've seen for a reason. Mm. We've experienced our journeys for a reason. And it is therefore our obligation to take that insight and share it so to figure out how it can help inform new solutions. And that responsibility lies in all of us. That's so. right. Solution-driven mission. That's right. Right. That's right. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you, Adrian. And we would like to thank our listeners for joining us for the Health Disparities Podcast. Join us again at movementislifecaucus.com, or you can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, with new episodes um, being posted every two weeks. Look out for our special series featuring our thought leaders from our partner organizations as well. And until next time, Dr. Bonnie Simpson-Mason and Adrian White-Fames, thank you so much. My pleasure.